previously on CSI Atlanta. I think when the DNA came back did not match him, they were back to square one and there was nobody else. Not one person saw anybody in the neighborhood that didn't fit. Not one person gave them a vehicle that had a description that didn't belong there. Nobody heard her scream. Nobody saw anybody run away. He was it. I'm CBS 46 anchor Karen Greer, and you're listening to CSI Atlanta, the podcast. Each episode, I'll take you on a deep dive into some of Georgia's cold cases. I'm working alongside CBS 46 crime scene investigator Shell Mac McCollum and her team at the Cold Case Investigative Research Institute. In the 11 years after Percola Coleman was found strangled to death in her family's apartment, the DNA evidence, critical to her case, sat untouched. The first criminal case to ever use DNA evidence happened in 1986. That was three years before Ricola's murder. While detectives were hopeful about future forensic technology, it simply hadn't developed in the early years of the investigation. Police had developed leads through other evidence, though they eventually narrowed their list of suspects, down to one man, who we're referring to as Mr. W. Police said he was a match for a partial palm print they found on Bercola's refrigerator, but until they could test DNA evidence, like the skin tissue found beneath Bercola's fingernails, they didn't have definitive proof he had attacked her. It wasn't until 2000 that the tissue found beneath Bercola's fingernails was tested. That result brought the case to a grinding halt. What was done with all of that? Collected, properly, saved. The tissue was run for DNA. DNA came back. The person, you know, the first person of interest, it did not match him. So they were done with him pretty quick. But Max says she doesn't believe that information alone is enough to clear Mr. W from the case entirely. Here's the reality. She did have tissue under her nails. She's a 12-year-old little girl that was just at school. She could have accidentally scratched somebody playing kickball. She could have scratched somebody being funny, like if some boy was bugging her at school. She could have, you know, accidentally run into somebody. So it's not a big deal that the, the skin under her fingernails was not his? It's possibly not a big deal. Possibly not a big deal because the tissue may not have belonged to the person who attacked Bricola. Because the reality is if it hasn't you know, I don't, we don't even know for sure if that was entered into CODIS. Hopefully it has been, but if there hasn't been a hit in all these years, it's very difficult to believe that somebody could rape and sodomize and murder and never commit another one. I don't buy that. So if there's not a hit, I think it's not the perpetrator. It's an important point Mac makes. Detectives tested the skin tissue under the assumption it belonged to the person who murdered Bricola. But what if it's just an assumption and not a fact? That question warrants more testing. So it probably may not have been correct what they had. Well, it, it might be correct. It would be worth 
examining again. Because again, here's the thing, test it, because they can tell you now, is it a white woman or an African-American man? In 2003, Atlanta's cold case squad vowed to look more critically into Bercola's case. The team focused on cases like this one, where there was enough DNA to be retested using modern technology. They have solved 16 cold cases since then. Sadly, Bercola's hasn't been one of them. Mac points out the skin tissue isn't the only DNA evidence left to test. You start with the jump rope and the broomstick because whoever pulled that and forcibly strangled that child, left touch DNA on it, period. How did they check the broomstick, the rope, for anything? To my knowledge, they haven't. But that's what you and I have suggested that the Atlanta Police Department do. I think it's imperative that they check the jump rope and the broomstick immediately. So we need to go back and see, besides his palm print, does anything else come back to him? I would love to see the statements that he made to police. I would like to see his entire statement. And I would like for somebody to analyze that for us. Because I believe there's a great possibility there's some leakage there. Doing so would help investigators truly rule out Mr. W. His DNA should have been registered in the Combined DNA Index System, also known as CODIS, following his sexual assault conviction in nearby Cobb County, where he overpowered a woman at an office building where he worked, similar to Bacola's case, that woman was raped, then sodomized with a broom handle. She positively identified him, or did they have evidence from the scene? I believe both in Cobb County. He's in prison now for it. Never confessed, never admitted to this? No. Have police ever questioned him about this? I know they did earlier until the DNA came back. As a criminologist, Max sees how clear the connection is between the two cases. It's a concern because she says people who commit these types of crimes tend to keep going until they're caught. It's a compulsion that isn't always easy to stop. You're talking about about three avenues at a time because this is sexual. So for him, it's a personal thing for him. So the short answer is, it depends. Obviously, he likes to overpower them. Obviously, he likes to demean them and cause them pain. He likes that. So that's clear. I mean, this was not something that was easily accomplished. You know what I mean? He had to flip them over one side and then the other and flip them back over again. And he had to be somewhat prepared because he had the same item twice. But then he utilized what was around him because that was her jump rope. Even more damning is that Mr. W would go from attempting to save Ricola's life to committing an eerily similar crime just two years later. Because it's really difficult for me to believe that he witnessed this scene because think about what this would take. You're just visiting your mom, and you rush in because this mom is screaming, my baby, my baby. You rush in to try to help, and you see this horrific sexual assault. 
of a child, right? But then just a few years later, you commit the exact same type of crime. What are the odds of that? They're so astronomical that it should not make sense to anybody that Mr. W is not the same perpetrator. I think it's interesting that he was young at the time. He wasn't an old man. He was early 20s. Which tells you probably how long he's been assaulting people. So again, you would almost hope that some other people would come forward. Now, would anybody be concerned that is a young child and this was a grown woman? Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy killed and raped a 12-year-old girl. And the rest of his victims were grown women. We know investigators matched the palm print to Mr. W and that they tested the skin tissue found under Bricola's fingernails, but it is unclear what else, if anything, was tested. Digging out the evidence, brushing off the file, and using modern technology could provide the clarity detectives have been hoping for over the last three decades. We need to go back and look at the other evidence. Look at her clothes, the jump rope, the broom handle. You've got to get DNA off of those items. You and I said they need to do the MVAC on this. Absolutely. You're 100% correct. The MVAC system is a DNA collection tool. Using a wet vacuum process, the MVAC allows investigators to pull DNA from hard-to-access surfaces. We were illustrating how it works, mm -hmm. what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. So easy to do that test. Within, As opposed to just swabbing it. Within 30 seconds, you were running the machine like a pro. And the really great thing is the sergeant that is over Bracola's case, you brought him here and you trained him. So, again, it's a gift. Now he has a broader understanding of what can do, you know, with these items. The future of the case doesn't solely rest on the DNA testing. There's also hope that someone could come forward with information, something they remember but didn't think was relevant or were too afraid to talk about when they were children. They have nothing to be afraid of. The person that hurt her is quite possibly in prison or no longer around. So if they remember something, and maybe at the time they were too scared, they can call and come forward now and say, okay, this is what I remember, but I was too petrified to tell anybody. But I did see this person, or I knew this person to be so-and-so's son, or I knew this person to be the maintenance man. Cheryl, I moved to Atlanta in 1989. Mm -hmm. So that means this case is like every years old. Every day that you've been here. No answers. That's it right there. Has she been forgotten? Well, not thanks to you and CSI Atlanta. She hasn't. Because when we mentioned it to the sergeant, he was like, I'm going to pull this file. And all we did was give him just a thumbnail, you know, part of the story. He heard enough. He heard enough to say, okay, I'm going to pull this case. How many cases like Ricola's are out there? Thousands. Literally, thousands.
next time on CSI Atlanta. It was believed that it was something like an ice pick and, and then she was also hogtied. Um, from the autopsy, it said that she, her wrist had been broken, she had been hit in the face, um, and then run over by a car. The next morning, very early in the morning, was when her body was found. It was around 7 a.m., and it was still warm. Until then, subscribe to CSI Atlanta, the podcast, and check out our full stories on CBS46.com. CSI Atlanta is brought to you by CBS 46 WGCL in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is hosted by me, Karen Greer, and CBS 46 crime scene investigator Cheryl Mack McCollum. This episode was produced by Rhiannon Youngbauer and Natasha Lee. Sound design by Ray Merriman.